Hello and welcome back to the Upper Bowl GM podcast after about a two-week hiatus. I was dealing with some pretty, pretty rough allergies. My voice sounded like shit. Constantly having to pause to breathe out of my mouth because my nose was so stuffed up, but... Mother Nature finally took some mercy on me. My allergies have let up. My voice sounds normal. I can breathe out of my nose. I can do the show to the fullest of my abilities. And as always, it is your host, Nick Sararis, and we are here to discuss the Tampa Bay Lightning's dismantling of the New York Islanders in Game 5 of what is effectively the Eastern Conference Finals. A lot to unpack in a very lopsided result, something I did not expect to see. I'll be pretty honest with you. I know before the game started tonight, I was talking in a few different group chats. A few people asked me if I liked anything tonight. I stupidly said the under, and I also said if I had to pick a side, I would take the lightning just because of the ebbs and flows of this series, but I didn't really have a strong lean either way because of how tight these teams have played each other for most of this series, especially at 5-on-5 where the Islanders are a pretty damn good team at 5-on-5, and for the Lightning to be successful really this year, I, I, I shouldn't say that. When the Lightning have been successful this year, they have scored a lot on their power play, Early on in this series, referees had a reluctance to call penalties, not give as many power plays for whatever reason. I mean, we saw it in Montreal, Vegas the other night as well. The officials are really letting them play. For some people, that's okay. They want to see that. They want to see players try and play through the tough areas, get through all that contact, that kind of thing. But at some point you got to call things to keep the game under control like i get it you don't want to give ticky tack penalties because you don't want to give power plays because power plays are so valuable this time of year i mean that's one of the, usually the deciding factors for postseason success is how good a team's power play is because at five on five for the most part teams productions tend to cancel each other out when you go across the four lines it during your five on five play and that's where we get into this game but before I get into tonight's game, I do have to remind everyone. I know I, I was slacking on the podcast side of things for a little while here. Got to bring back the momentum. Got to bring back the energy. And I say that full well knowing I'm going to be on vacation next week and there won't be a podcast. But for this week, we're going to have a show each day. So as a refresher, any platform you get your podcast, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, all of those podcasting platforms, this podcast is on. If you prefer another podcasting platform, let me know. I can get the RSS up feed up in five minutes. It's really easy. It's free on most site, most audio hosting sites in this context. But if you are using Apple Podcasts, you have an added responsibility. You have to go to the show's homepage to scroll to the bottom there are going to be five clear purple stars you hit the one furthest to the right that's leaving a five-star review beneath that is a button with purple lettering that says write a review if you have the time take an extra minute please we content creators love feedback what even if it's bad feedback you want to tell me i'm a dumbass by all means leave it in the apple podcast review section that stuff helps me out helps the show gain traction chart that kind of stuff if we get enough reviews, which would be nice. I'm trying to make some headway. I will see you guys on the other side of the drop. We're going to talk about that dismantling and why, even though the final score was so lopsided, 
there was a little bit of some weirdness in there. I'll see you guys in one sec. Here comes Sorelli. Drops it off. Stamkos in front for Florida. Stamkos scores! And with that, we begin our discussion with the early parts of this series have been pretty tight. There has not been a ton of room to operate. The Lightning have really clamped down. The Islanders, as always, were pretty clamped down. Not allowing speed through the neutral zone, minimizing the number of rush scoring opportunities. And then when the Lightning did have the zone in the Islanders' end, the Islanders would drop into their box. They're going to keep you to the outside. They don't want you to get clean scoring looks. They're going to make you shoot from the perimeter. And if you win a rebound chance, so be it. They'll live with that. But for whatever reason, in game number five at MLA Arena on Tuesday night, the Islanders just, they didn't have their normal juice, their normal compete level. I mean, realistically speaking, a lot of the Islanders' success comes down to energy and effort because they ask a lot of their players in their system because of how much is required on them in the offensive zone, the neutral zone, and the defensive zone. And the Islanders, right away, within the first couple of shifts of the game, you could tell they just, for whatever reason, they didn't have their legs tonight. And whether that's just lethargy and being tired from a long playoff run and a long season and the travel and, you know, one day in between games, that kind of thing. But they just did not have the juice. And pretty early on in this game, you got a sense that if the Lightning could put the puck in the net, this was going to get ugly quickly. And I say that because the Islanders been out chance, out expected goals pretty consistently in this postseason, but they're content to do that because they're giving up chances from the perimeter, ones that they feel like their goaltender should be able to save, and then the Islanders can absorb the pressure, go the other way, counterattack it soccer style. But tonight, the first thing I wrote down, and yes, I took notes of this game while during the course of the game, watching it like I was covering it, and the first thing I wrote down was tempo for lightning, strong board play. And when I say strong board play, I mean they're winning pucks along the boards that, you know, the island that's the Islanders' bread and butter. When the Islanders are playing well, their forecheck is winning all of those pucks along the boards that the Lightning defensemen are trying to turn back up ice. That wasn't the case tonight. The Lightning were winning those pucks in the corner, getting the puck up the ice quickly, and especially in that first period, they were catching the Islanders out of position. And I know Eddie Olchek mentioned it about a thousand times that he counted eight odd man rushes going the other way for Tampa. You just don't see that from the Islanders because typically they're not letting you through that neutral zone with any speed because they just have so many numbers back. They have so many guys back. When you're talking about going through a 1-3-1 or a 1-2-2, there's just so many waves of bodies you got to get through to get to the blue line, and then you, you still got to dump it in and go get it. For whatever reason tonight... The Lightning were able to go through the middle of the ice in a way they hadn't the previous four games. And the Lightning have so many high-end players, so many guys who skate well, handle the puck well. That's one of the best 1 through 12s in terms of forwards we've had in the salary cap era. And yes, I understand a lot of people are going to be frustrated with that because, you know, the Lightning are so far over the salary cap because there's no salary cap in the postseason. They put Kucherov on 
long-term injured reserve during the regular season. Yes, they have a salary cap over $105 million in the playoffs, but players don't get in the play- paid in the playoffs, and that's why there is no salary cap in the postseason. But in terms of the Lightning, man, I mean, Kucherov Point Palat is amazing. Kalor and Sorelli Stamkos had had a rough first four games, but they were lights out tonight. Coleman, Gord, Goudreau, as strong a possession third line in the league. Pat Maroon, Tyler Johnson, Ross Colton as your fourth line. On most teams, that's a that's your third line on most teams. Uh, Colton, big energy guy. Maroon, as much as I like to clown him on Twitter, is a solid fourth line player. Tyler Johnson, obviously not the player the Lightning thought he might end up being, but he's got some offensive upside, some skill, and... The Lightning were in control of this game from the get-go, and it was played on their terms. That, that was the second thing I wrote down in my bulleted list of notes here. When the Lightning are in control, there's really nothing you can do because they just have the puck the entire time. And yes, the Islanders can throw hits, they can run after guys, that kind of thing. They just did not have that kind of energy tonight to be chasing the puck in the defensive zone, and... Pretty quickly, it got out of hand. I, I know Micah Blake McCurdy, the analytics guy, he tweeted his post-game stats for expected goals after the game, and he had it at something like 4.5 expected goals for Tampa and then like 2.3, 2.4 expected goals for the Islanders. And the way he phrased it was, it's pretty hard to score eight goals when you have 4.5 expected goals, and it's pretty hard to score zero goals when you have 2.2 expected goals. But I think that'll speak to the quality of the chances. And just when you are in control of the game, good things happen. It's why I'm such a strong proponent of expected goals and Corsi in particular, because when you're creating those, it means you have the puck. When you're creating expected goals in particular, that means you're getting the puck to good areas. So even if you're not directly getting goals, you're getting the puck to dangerous areas. You are making the goalie move. You are making defensemen play the puck. And then weird things can happen, like what happened to Andy Green, where that scoring attempt bounced in off his leg or the one that bounced out off of Varlamov to Stamkos and Stamkos just had to tap it into an open net. And that's 2 nothing right there on two goals just because you got the puck to dirty areas. And I know, I know, I know expected goals are not the be-all, end-all, but when you're creating four and a half expected goals in a game, that's telling me you have the puck a lot. And the Lightning had the puck a lot. They did not have to play a ton of defense tonight. And that's where I want to get to the first major point I want to touch on here. When you are in control of the game, you... You're not playing defense. And I think that's one thing that we that's a little bit easy to overlook that you don't think of playing offense as playing defense. But if you have the puck in the offensive zone, even if you're just cycling it like the Islanders are pretty strong at doing at times. I mean, I forget who talked about it, but someone mentioned it. They called it the four corners offense. The Islanders were playing with a one goal lead the other night in game four and they had the puck in the Tampa Bay zone and they just passed it around the perimeter and Tampa couldn't get it from them because it was a five on four situation and the Islanders just playing catch and you don't think of playing catch in the offensive zone as defense but if you're playing catch in the offensive zone the other team doesn't have the puck and your goalie doesn't have to move that's the best defense is being on offense you don't have to worry as much and that's where 
the Lightning took care of their team tonight because, you know, they're playing a man down. They had to swap Chernak out for um, Shen. Chernak hurt. Chernak's a replacement-level defenseman, nothing too incredible, but he's not going to kill you. We know Tampa Bay, at least two of their six regulars, not including um, Chernak, are playing injured. We, we've known Victor Hedman's been hurt for a while. We know David Savard has been hurt for a while, but they're trying to play through. I assume Ryan McDonough's got something. He's always dinged up. Love that guy to death. One of the toughest guys to come through the league in a long time, playing as bad as it gets. I mean... I know some Ranger fans kind of pin the blame for the team's lack of oomph, lack of leadership during the end of his time here because he wasn't a vocal leader, but that guy tried to play in Game 7 of the Conference Finals on a broken foot, and his foot wasn't frozen for Game 7, and he still tried to play with a a painfully broken foot. For Game 6, they had frozen it, he was able to get his foot in the skate, and he got the adrenaline going, and it wasn't hurting him. Game 7, he tried to gut out playing hockey on a broken foot. Enough said about what kind of character and what kind of guy Ryan McDonough is. That's the kind of guy you want in your team. And now the Lightning are on the cusp here. We have not had back-to-back champions in hockey since the 2016, 7, uh, 2015, 2016, 2016, 2017 Penguins. It's not too far away in the past, but you think about what made those Penguins teams so good. They had three quality lines. You had the Malkin line, you had the Crosby line, you had the HBK line. You had Brian Dumoulin playing out of his mind. You got pretty good goaltending out of Matt Murray, and you had a good coach in Mike Sullivan persevering through some difficult situations. I mean, more than once, the Penguins are an OT, double OT goal away from being eliminated, so you got to survive those situations. Not always the best team wins, but if you're hot, good things happen. If you're controlling the puck more than the other team, good things happen. And the way I know this Lightning team is kind of different from everyone else, I know coming into the postseason I was very high on Colorado, I was very high on Vegas, and I kind of figured that either Carolina would take out the Lightning or I figured if Boston got here, Boston would be able to. And I didn't give Tampa Bay the credit they deserved because I just felt like the miles would catch up with them from playing so many games. I mean, this is a team that went to the conference finals twice, added a bunch of guys like the Braden Points, the Anthony Sorelli's of the world, went to the cup final and finally won it last year. And they came back this year and I figured, all right, I, I these guys are going to be tired. They, they played a lot of games in a short period of time. They're dinged up. They're a little bit older now. And they turned it on. I, they're not scoring as much as on five on five as they did during last year's cup run, but they're scoring so much on the power play. They've been over to, able to overcome the lack of five on five offense. And, they're getting scoring from Braden Point and Kucherov. Braden Point and Kucherov are that good. They combined for 64, 65 points in last year's postseason run. They're both well on pace to be in that ballpark of scoring in the low 20s, maybe even getting close to sniffing 30 points apiece in this postseason run. And I think it's going to really come down to their production. And I know that's a cop-out to say, but... When we're talking about teams like this with high-end players in this realm, I mean, no matter who Tampa Bay plays, should they close it out in Game 6 or in Game 7, you're going to play Montreal, you're going to play Vegas. If your top-line guys can score, uh, 
you're going to have a hard time with either of those teams matching that production because we know Vegas's first line has had a hard time in their series against Montreal because Chandler Stevenson's been hurt. Stone, Pacioretty, neither has a goal yet. I mean, Vegas has two goals from forwards through four games. I, I mean, they have a talented defense. I mean, Shea Theodore, Martinez, Petrangelo, those are all pretty damn good hockey players, but at some point you're going to need your high-end guys to score, and that's the luxury Tampa has right now is they have Point and Kucherov just absolutely cooking. I mean, Point has goals in eight straight games now. He's getting close to the record of ten straight games with a goal. Kucherov looks fine like he didn't miss the entire regular season. Very, very talented high-end guys. And then that second line, they really showed up tonight. And, I, I again, I don't like give, giving Brian Bruchet a ton of credit because he usually doesn't really add anything to the broadcast other than just filling up airtime. But he talked about it. They were not producing a ton at 5-on-5 five five in the series, the Stamkos, Sorelli, and um, Kalorn line. But, you know, Stamkos had a pair tonight. Sorelli, I believe, had a couple of good scoring chances, even though he didn't find the back of the net. And it goes back to talking about the depth. I mean, few teams in the modern era have had this much talent on their roster. And yes, again, I know the Lightning are over the salary cap by like $19 million. So, of course, they have more talent than everyone else. But they're here. They, the NHL said they didn't break any rules, that they said there was no violation, that they did tests on Kucherov to make sure he wasn't just sitting out even though he wasn't hurt. He was hurt. The NHL said there was no rule violation, so okay. We'll, we'll move on. I, I know this is a sensitive subject for some, and it is frustrating because no other team has just bold-faced used long-term injured reserve like this. Like, yeah, the Blackhawks stashed Patrick Kane away during their 2015 Cup run so they could trade for Antoine Vermette at the trade deadline. But, you know, they weren't, like, 20-ish million dollars over the salary cap and what have you. But, but, I digress, I digress. Moving along, I'm genuinely surprised how disheveled, dismantled the Islanders were tonight. Uh, the Islanders are... One of the most resilient teams, if not the most resilient team in the entire league, where as l if that game was 2-3-0 going into the third period, I would not have totally ruled the Islanders out because of the way they play. They have such a menacing, frustrating style of hockey that it becomes impossible to play against them because you're just constantly turning the puck over because their forwards are pinching up the boards, their defensemen are active in the offensive zone, there's not a ton of room to operate, they're able to impose their will, they're not going to give you a ton of scoring opportunities, they always know what to do with the puck, and for whatever reason in Game 5, they just could not find their game at any point. I know they had a couple of scoring chances, I know right when that second period started, Vasilevsky robbed them a goal. They got a double post. They were in the mix for a while there. Even at 3 nothing in the second period, I figured, all right, the Islanders will make this a game. I don't know if they can win, but I figured, all right, maybe they get it to 3-2 going into the third period, maybe 4-2. to They concede one, get two back. And it just never came for them in the offensive zone, and they just did not look like themselves tonight. Anyone who's watched the Islanders 
at any point during this postseason knows how important their board play and their transition play is. The Islanders are moving the puck. Whenever someone is passing the puck, they know where it's going ahead of time, and they know someone's going to be there to get it because they are so regimentally structured. And what made the game interesting, at least a little bit more than usual, Tampa Bay came out in game number four and played a style similar to what the Islanders do, where there just was no space to operate, where you were constantly getting hit, you couldn't thread passes through the neutral zone, you had to dump in, you had to go get the puck, and you had to go to work along the boards. You had to play a more hard-working style, and I understand that to some people, it's a little bit less appealing of a style to watch visually and that it doesn't always re- lead to the most entertaining game. But the Lightning took away a lot in Game 4, and they lost. To, to be fair, the Islanders won Game 4, but uh, uh, yeah, the Islanders won Game 4 even though the game was played at a high level by both teams. Both the Lightning and the Islanders played well in Game 4, but Islanders won. It happens. It happens. But circling back around to game number five, the Islanders were the team that was getting suffocated. The Lightning were pressing up the ice and not giving the Islanders any room to break out. And one of the reasons the Islanders are so good is that they don't usually turn the puck over and they get through the neutral zone very well and they get the puck in deep. And then they're not playing defense because the puck's in the offensive zone and they're trying to win it back. And then if they win it back, they can start their cycle. They'll get the puck low. They'll get it to the point point shot, look for a deflection, a rebound, or just let Ryan Pulak rip one as hard as humanly possible and try and get it through the goalie. That wasn't the case here. I I mean, only one line, the Brock Nelson, Bavillier, and Josh Bailey line was even relatively close to even in terms of scoring opportunities. Everybody else was in the low 40s in terms of pure quantity of scoring chances, dramatically getting outchanced, alarmingly outchanced, I would say. I mean, this game kind of turned into a laugher when it got to 4 5 nothing, and then by the end, as they're running up the score, the Lightning are running up the score there. But for a while, the, the Islanders were in this game without really being in this game. All they need is one. That's the thing about hockey is even if it's a big lead, you get one goal at the right time as the team that that's getting shut out. You can build some energy, get some momentum going, and even though momentum's not a quantifiable feeling you can tell when there something shifts in a game and the floodgates open islanders had to pull varlam off they had to put sorokin in there and sorokin played about as well as you could in a game that was a shooting gallery less than ideal very much less than ideal to come into a game where you're already down that much but 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 i will say after a game like what happened in game five the Islanders are going to have to have the game of their lives at the Nassau Coliseum. They are going to have to have the game of their life in Game 6. And they might have to deal with the very real possibility Matt Barzell, their best player, undeniably, is suspended for his cross-check of Jan Ruda late in the game in the third period. Look, I, I'm not going to wax poetic on this. Ruda did hit Barzell first, but Barzell cross-checked him. He punched him in the face. He knocked him down. Whether he caught him with the glove or the stick, either way, it was a major penalty. It was a five-minute It was a five minute major and a misconduct. They threw Barzell out of the game. I will say, 
I wouldn't be surprised if he suspended. Uh, the league did suspend Pavel Buchnevich of the Rangers one game for a similar type of cross-checking incident. If they suspend Barzell, I, I kind of want to say that's it. I, I don't really feel like the Islanders are going to have much of a chance in Game 6 if they have to roll an Oliver Wallstrom into the lineup or if they have to play a Zajac at center and then work the rest of the lineup around that. I, I mean, at this point, you might as well just pencil Leo Komarov into that role because if there was ever a game to put him in, it was this one after having a hard such a hard time scoring in game number four in the Komarov spot, or you could play Paul Mary in that Komarov spot and drop Wallstrom lower in the lineup so he's a little bit less responsibility. But Barry Trotz, for all of his genius, he, he cannot, he just cannot get over his fascination with Leo Komarov and uh, what he thinks Komarov's potential in that role is. And I know he talked about it a little bit the other day that it's hard for guys to play with Barzell because he's so unpredictable and that he's going to do things and they just kind of have to be in the right spot and that because Leo is good at getting to the net front that Trotz feels like Leo is an ideal matchup and match for playing with Barzell because he'll be in areas where if Barzell shoots... He'll be there for rebounds and that kind of thing. But at the same time, I think a more polished finisher in that role or a little bit more of a high-end version of that. Like, obviously, we know Anders Lee is hurt. He's not coming back, even though he's been working out with the team. He's been skating. But the ideal person for Barzell is Lee because Lee can park his enormous body in front of the net, redirect it, clean up rebounds, score those ugly goals that get TV announcers going. Komarov's not doing that right now. And at this point... The, the Islanders need their kitchen sink game. They they got to throw everything. They got to throw the kitchen sink out there and play the game of their lives against a team with more talent. And that's the thing about this series. It was always going to be an uphill battle for the Islanders because the Lightning have so much talent top to bottom. And, I mean, I've done this podcast now for about 20 minute, 25 minutes, and I haven't even mentioned how well Andre Vasilevsky, the goalie of the Lightning, has played in this series. I mean, he was lights out tonight there were a few good scoring chances for the islanders in this game and vasilevsky just shut the door man i i know it's very easy for a goaltender to play well when they don't have to do a lot of work but he still had to make the saves and he did a great job of that like i said depending on what website you looked at the islanders were around two-ish expected goals a little bit less on some sites a little bit more ranging from 1.6 to 2.2. To give up none when you're expected to give up two, that, that's pretty damn good goaltending. And yes, a lot of that comes from quantity, that the Islanders are just kind of throwing shit at the net, hoping that one of those would go in, and that over time those low chances do accumulate because every scoring chance has an implied value. You add up that implied value at the end of the game, and that's how you calculate expected goals percentage. You just divide the total number of scoring the total number of expected goals value by the number of expected goals your scoring chances created. That's how you calculate expected goals. Islanders, you know, like I said, a weird game in the sense that you know the the Lightning scored eight on four-ish expected goals and the Islanders scored none on two-ish expected goals. But like I said during the first part of the podcast. You get the puck to good areas, good shit happens. You play the puck enough in the other team's end, eventually you're going to score. If you're not giving up that much, you're going to make things out better. And when you talk about unblocked chances, I mean, chances total. Unblocked scoring chances, 24 
only for the Islanders. So you're averaging, you know, eight a period. Not great here. Granted, this is at five on five, not including power plays, but I digress. I digress. I want... I would like a Game 7, I'll be honest with you. Just as a hockey fan, a greedy hockey fan who wants to see more quality hockey because these are two very good teams. I mean, we saw it last year in the bubble. These two teams played each other. They went six games. The Islanders did... They got as close as you could, man. No, I don't think anyone was beating Tampa last year in the bubble. Hell, I don't think anyone's going to beat Tampa now. I mean, even if Vegas somehow survives... Their series against Montreal. Vegas can't score at 5-on-5. Five five. They can't score on the power play. They can't expect their defensemen to be their best players. They're paying Mark Stone too much money. They have Pacioretty. Not even about the money. Pacioretty and Stone are too talented to not be finding the back of the net. And they, if Vegas is going to survive this series against Montreal and then be competitive in the cup final, whether it's against Tampa or the Islanders, they're going to need to fucking put the puck in the net and... Scoring two goals a game, it's really hard to win every game when you only score two goals a game. As a Ranger fan who tried to see his team win a Stanley Cup only scoring two goals a game, I can tell you, it's not a pretty ride. It is not a pretty freaking ride. Keeping it short here, not going to dwell too long on one individual game, so I'll start to wrap things up, but... Like I said, I would like to see a Game 7, so I would like the Islanders to win Game 6 at the Coliseum, but I, if Barzell's out, I think in short order here, you're talking about a lightning win. Just The Islanders are a very, very talent, very good team. I won't say they're an elite team, but they know how to play this time of year. And if they come out with that energy, they come out with their legs right away when the game starts, unlike in Game 5. We know they can hang with Tampa. We know they can beat Tampa. They've won two games in the series. All they got to do is keep it close, and then anything can happen in a tie game. Anything can happen. If you have the puck in the other team's zone, you're just whipping it around until someone gets a good look. All of that shit works. Like I said, and like I frequently say, the best defense is to be playing offense. And against a team like the Lightning, you want to have the puck in their end. You don't even have to want to worry about limiting where they're getting their chances from because they have so much talent. Instead, you want to have the puck in their zone. And even if you're not creating a ton of chances, just having the puck in their zone is keeping pressure off of your goaltender and your defense. We will be back tomorrow. We will discuss game number five between the Golden Knights and the Montreal Canadiens. That's what the rest of this week is going to be. Just game recaps kind of vibe here. Not going to dwell too long. Just kind of quick thoughts, looking at it analytics-wise, looking at it mentality-wise. I'll keep taking notes during the course of the game, like if I were covering the game that kind of thing and maybe tomorrow if the game ends at a reasonable time i'll watch the post game stuff too see some quotes that kind of thing thread it together make it a little bit more polished but i had some thoughts about the game want to get them off my chest we're back folks i will see you guys tomorrow